This is the Out of Time Film Podcast, where your hosts, Tom and John, discuss everything from blockbuster films to TV and games like there's no tomorrow. Welcome to the Ask Time Film Podcast. My name is Tom and as always I'm joined with my co-host John and this week we're talking about Across the Spider-Verse. Woo! Yes. Wow. I haven't seen Into the Spider-Verse on the big screen because I, I don't know why. I wanted to see it but... I didn't, you were too I just... busy watching Mary Poppins Returns. <laughs> oh my god. Yeah, I remember you showing me the movie Into the Spider-Verse and I was like, oh, this is really good. But then I fully changed my mind. It's like one of the best comic book films that I've seen. And now, five years later, we were supposed to get the film in 2022. And it would be really interesting to see where that went. They were very adamant that they need the extra time to make this movie as good as it can be. And even those extra six months that we got, wow. I mean, okay, so full, full spoilers ahead for anyone who hasn't seen it. And really, I would struggle to talk about this movie without being able to fully dive into spoilers. So Across the Spider-Verse, briefly explain the plot for those who don't know. All right. So after reuniting with Gwen Stacy, Brooklyn's full-time friendly neighborhood, Spider-Man is catapulted across the multiverse where he counters a team of Spider-People charged with protecting its very existence. However, when the heroes clash on how to handle a new threat, Miles finds himself pitted against the other spiders. And he must soon redefine what it means to be a hero so he can save the people he loves most. Fantastic. Yes. Where do you oh. even start about Where this movie? <laughs> so we start about the beginning. For me, it really, really hooked me in with the music by Daniel Pemberton. Like with the what drumming. score. Oh, I love that. We were back in. We we were like, we are back. You know, at the beginning when Gwen was talking about missing Miles, but there's other things that, you know, what happened with her, Peter Parker, in this world who turned into a lizard. And it was a very sad backstory to go through. Like, it was short and simple, you know, this is Gwen's story. And I, I'm really glad they got into that because I thought Gwen was an interesting character from the first film and we only briefly explored that, but I didn't mind. Yeah. We got to see the other spider people in, in that film the first movie is very much miles and peter b parker's story and obviously yeah. in this sequel we are following miles still but one of the big things that i was worried about when it was i don't know announced or revealed or, or whatever i don't know if it was in a trailer or something or if it was just announced that jake johnson would be returning i was worried because i was like i feel like peter b parker's story for the most part is finished. I don't think that there's anything that you can do with him. And so I'm really, really happy that he did take a backseat. And this one yeah. is so much more about Miles and Gwen, the two characters who I think do have more story to be told. And we can push forward with them. And you're right, getting to see these things from her perspective and her universe. The animation just in general is spectacular. It's, it's one of it's the best to. pieces of art I've ever seen in my life. It takes everything from the first movie and takes it to the next level in all the best ways. Like, you know, when you think about exploring the multiverse, this exactly what you want it to be this is the kind of thing that you feel in films like everything everywhere all at once this is what it should be feelings of completely different styles and variations you know i think when it comes to on-screen multiverses with no way home sometimes it can feel like there isn't quite enough to separate the different universes i feel like no way home definitely presents that but 
when you look at stuff like this movie, this is exactly what I feel the multiverse should be realized. It yeah. embraces everything. But I digress. Gwen Stacy's world is just so cool. Every single shot, the color palette is different in some way, while it all retains the same watercolor atmosphere. Like, I wrote an essay about Spider-Verse's animation and how it realizes different worlds. Oh, for boy, my you're going to write it longer. He's going to watch it longer. <laughs> I'm like, gonna... now there's so much more to say. The first film really does just barely scratch the surface. And oh, this one just goes, yeah. like, it goes all in. I really, really liked Gwen's dimension aesthetic. Because, like, you know, you can really tell with the emotions. It was very visual, especially at one point where Gwen Stacy's dad, he realizes that Spider-Woman in this world is actually Gwen Stacy. And you can see him. He's going through everything with the color palette. Like, there's some colors that are contrasted between Gwen and the father. And it's just so conflicting towards each other. Like, he's like, should I arrest her? But she's my daughter. And it's, there's so many emotions going through that and that is very prominent throughout the film you can see those moments in the film that is brought up again and again with like friendships relationships and parents feel worried about their children you know going through somewhere that is shown a lot in scene where miles was talking to his mom rio i forgot the whole quote but it was an excellent scene it was just so good she says like don't let anybody tell you yeah. where you do or don't belong. You know, you've got yes. to show them all and you've got to prove to them that yeah. this is who you are. And so much of this movie is is grounded in parenting. Just like the first movie, Miles' parents play such a huge role in the narrative mm. and in his own emotional arc. And he wants to make them proud. And obviously you get the classic superhero struggle of, can I tell my parents that I am this hero? It's nowhere near as easy as it might feel. And you get that through Miles and with Gwen. And even bringing back Peter B, you have the element with his family and also with Miguel O'Hara you get that with his family too and there are so many different ways that family is presented and twisted in this movie and you're right that does work so well it, it really retains the emotional focus when you have so much of the movie which is all this incredible visuals and all of these amazing cameos and things yeah. to look at they still retain that emotional core just spectacularly and, and, and I have to say it's not just the like what you're saying in these moments between Gwen and her father there are quite a couple of shots which frame them on either side of the shot and there's colour with Gwen or yeah. there's colour with her dad and there's darkness on the other side of the frame until they embrace and the colour envelopes them both. It's not just about the animation which is just flawless but it's also about the framing and the way that everything is shot. It is sublime in every single yeah. way and the way that these incredible images are mirrored. There's a great moment where Gwen is about to leave Miles's universe and she knows she can't go back and say goodbye to him so she says goodbye but she doesn't know that he's right there and he's invisible. And there's a great shot where Gwen's looking to one side and Miles is looking back at her and she can't see him, but he can see her and he's invisible and he's upside down. And, and in many ways, it mirrors the iconic Mary Jane kissing Peter in the original Spider-Man. It's all just so well thought out and so well crafted. And, and honestly, yeah. I can't think of a single thing where it doesn't feel like they thought about it so much and, and to the point where it comes together so well. All of it is just perfected. It like ooh ooh it, yeah, ooh, it tastes yeah, it tastes yeah. good. I really like that shot as well when he's about to go across the spider verse. <laughs> but um, yeah, when he go when he goes through that and it was such a cool shot. Yeah, the animation in different universes as well are just so cool. Like Manbatten. Yes. The, oh, yes. I love Manbatten. Wow. I mean, that's when we got into such that, a cool thing. Uh, when I listened to the intro into Manbatten with Daniel Pemberton's score, it was just like whoa. It, 
it was like Ready Player One when you jumped into a different world or something like that. That that is so cool what they've done with the different yeah. animation style in that world, and you get to see other different. It's people. so cool, and it's almost like futuristic in the way that everything is stacked on top of each other, and the way that the the city kind of climbs, and obviously they're combining Mumbai and Manhattan, and that's just so so cool and so interesting. Like I love that kind of stuff. It reminded me in many ways of Big Hero Six, which is set in San Francisco, I think, Fran which Fran is like Fran a mix yeah, of yeah, yeah, Tokyo yeah. and San Francisco, which I just think is really, really fun. And that yeah. kind of stuff is great. But also, they give that whole sequence such relevance. Like, it's like they come there just to oh, find the yeah. spot and they interact with that world Spider-Man, who was an absolute delight. Again, we're making every single Spider-Man different. This Spider-Man is reflecting his Indian culture and that is so cool. And yeah. again, everything's different anim- animated style. But at the end of that, it's not just about finding the spot. It links into the character arcs of Miles and of all the different other spider people. Uh, and what I loved in this movie was that it had such a complexity. Like in the first movie, and this is not a knock on the first movie yeah. at all, but the good guys are good and the bad guys are bad. The gray area is very small. Obviously we feel for the bad guys in certain ways and the good guys have their moments where they question their own good. And obviously there is drama and there is complexity, but this one, it really goes into the gray areas of everything. The amazing reveal that all the spider people were in on the idea of these canon events and the fact that Miles is an anomaly and that he isn't actually supposed to be Spider-Man and that like his origin is all a mistake a mistake that in a lot of ways the spider people are ashamed of and they have to say to him you have to let your father die these really dark things they just want to let happen almost forgetting exactly what it is to be spider-man getting into that these things that really make you hate characters that you've come to love like gwen and peter b who are all in on it dude that is done so so magnificent yeah i was losing my mind i was like this is peak I really like that they brought the idea from the first film because, you know, we didn't really think about where that spider came from, Spider-42. And we thought, oh, it must be linking to the idea that Miles is lucky, which is the idea in this film that Miles is lucky to be Spider-Man. But the other Spider-People, they thought it was a mistake to have that version of Miles to be Spider-Man. And then there was one of the best plot twists we'll talk about later on, which was crafted so well. It brought so many questions about like what is this spider you know where it came from and i really like that they explored that in, in this film because there's no emotional beat that is wasted or any scenes that feel dull or something like that it just crafted so well to make us feel like we are on this roller coaster and we get to explore these spider people and the fact that gwen as you said tia and gwen they're in it and then it's like oh so they knew about this whole time and it just completely breaks your heart about like miles trying to do his own thing it's twists things from the first movie in a really heartbreaking way like the end of the first movie Miles's monologue at the end his narration he says like whenever I'm feeling alone I think about my friends who get it but now you think about they all think of him in this way and they all deliberately don't contact him and he's there he's out there he's being Spider-Man and he's thinking about his friends and they are actively trying to avoid him because they believe that for the timelines to stay correct or whatever or, or destiny or you know the 
canon event, for all that to stay intact, he needs to distance himself from all the other spider people to not be a part of this whole canon. And and that's really interesting because this film, it has just crazy connections to the first movie. The first of all, it makes this film a sequel, not just in the fact this is another adventure, but it feels like it builds off the first one. As I say, it builds off the first one with the character arcs and even with Peter B. Parker, who I, you know, I would have argued that his story was done, but I still think that they bring in a questioning of whether even he can still do the right thing and, you know, who he is as a father. But also, there are just some really, really great connections, like you're saying, with the spider. We learn about that. And the spot's origin, which I think... Spots. Oh my god! Like, yes. the moment that he kind of tells his story, <laughs> that's when I was in. You know, the movie, I was like, this oh, is great, yeah. Gwen Stuffle, yeah. great, Miles, great. And then when the spot was like, you threw a bagel at me, I was like, <laughs> okay, I'm in, I'm there. <laughs> that is just such a funny thing that they brought that back, that tiny little moment from the first one, that tiny hilarious moment that we all love. They make that spot, like spot as a character being so hurt by this very small thing, Miles doesn't even know yeah. who he is. And yet mm-hmm. like, he takes such big offense at all the things that he's done to him to the point yeah. where he's genuinely gonna like wreak some actual havoc and make some actual like real yeah. danger that yeah. all is so great and the fact that it comes from that one moment of the bagel and <laughs> the spider just fantastic it's so good and it was a really interesting character because he doesn't look like he's gonna be like this ominous villain you know what i mean like at the beginning he's just goofy he's trying to steal some money and but you can't do yeah it they, li- they literally describe him as villain of the week and then it becomes more catastrophic as the film goes by he's gonna cause some havoc in the next film which yeah is- definitely yeah, i mean definitely. this film is definitely a part one it feels like you know, Deathly Hallows part one or June part one in the sense that this really, you know, the cliffhanger, it feels like Fast X in the sense that (laughs) like, you know, the the cliffhanger, it really is like, this is half of a movie. This is half of a story. And the three movies are all going to work together in one beautiful whole. Like, I really think if if the third movie can hit it as well as this movie has, we have one of the best, maybe even the best trilogy of all time on our hands. And I mean that with deadly serious. I think that could be so great but yeah the way that this movie ends it really is part one and i think you know it doesn't end quite as nicely as something like empire strikes back it's not a complete story in the sense that some part ones are but i will give it lenience because it really does deliver on that cliffhanger so well it's insane what they did the final like scene where gwen assembles the team and we have gwen stacy and we have peter b parker and we have hobie and we have spider-man india and we have the 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 digital one i don't know everyone's names yet please forgive me (laughs) and we have spider ham and we have penny parker and we have spider-man noir yeah to save miles Guys, that is such an amazing way to end the movie. And oh. Daniel Pemberton's score is working overtime, just oh. hitting every single beat, using oh, all the different motifs and throwing them all together. Yeah. At the same yeah. time, we have Miles and the reveal of the Prowler just... Wow. Yeah, please listen to Daniel Pemberton's score after it's you finish so the film. Good. It's so, so, like, so good. I don't know if you've seen any of his other work, but the man just elevates everything that he's in. He like, does. I've oh watched both Enola Holmes movies, which aren't very good movies, but his score is actually so good. 
And so they really make these fairly nothingy detective movies into something that holds so much more emotional weight through his music. The man is yeah, such yeah, yeah. a genius. Yeah. And the biggest cliffhanger, it might be one of the most insane cliffhangers that I've seen in history. It was a great plot twist that I was building into that cliffhanger. Miles wanted to go home, not to have this canon event. And I really like that because I'm going over the place, but the canon event I want to talk about first, you know, it was a really interesting way to talk about like spider people, like how did they get this development, you know, how they got to some really tough times. And I really like that because we thought about like, oh, losing Gwen Stacy or beloved characters in the comic books. And it's like growing them as spider people. It was looking into what Miguel said, like, you need to have your father get killed or die in an accident. So it was like, I'm not gonna let that happen. So he wants to go home. And one of the the biggest plot to us was like he meets Rio back then and talks about like what he's been through and you can definitely see that development like they told me I'm not supposed to be who I am and I didn't let them tell them what I need to be and then when he reveals that he's Spider-Man she said who is he and the penny was about to drop we were like huh that doesn't make sense and then the other spider people were looking for Miles but he wasn't in his house he was in the wrong universe and it was Earth 42, where the spider was supposed to be in, in this universe. And I was like, what, what the, what? What a moment. I figured it out maybe like a minute before. And I was like, this is insane. Because it really is. I was about to like... have a brain aneurysm. I was like, oh my <laughs> yeah. God. I think the way that like, this whole movie is constructed and like, you know what you're saying of canon events and the idea that every Spider-Man has to go through these same trials and tribulations. And the fact that Miles is very much on the side of Spider-Man can always do both. He can always, he should be able to always save people. And I think that's very interesting. And there's a lot of ways that you can take this, you know, with Uncle Ben and police captain who has to die or the love interest who has to die in the case of Gwen Stacy. And I think this brings us perfectly into the cameos of the movie. This yeah. is simply just the best use of cameos that I've ever seen. It wasn't intrusive. It wasn't like, yes, there were so many moments where I were like, oh my God, it's this person or it's that person or we're in a Lego universe now. Hey, it's Mrs. Cheng from Venom. Like those things were oh, so yeah, cool. Yeah. But I don't, I genuinely think if I didn't know that it would not have detracted a single, there were definitely references that flew over my head, but things like seeing Spectacular Spider-Man or seeing Donald Glover as the Prowler from another universe or seeing Insomniac Spider-Man or seeing Andrew Garfield's Spider-Man or Tobey Maguire's or anything from the comics, they embrace every single facet of what Spider-Man is. And they also use it all to comment on the character and on Miles's own journey. And that is just done so masterfully. Like it really is that moment in No Way Home where the three Peters bond over with great power comes great responsibility and the people that they've lost. It's that moment, but dialed up so much better and so much more subtle and so much more impactful because you have people that we know and people that we don't know all telling mm. Miles that he has to do this thing that he doesn't want to do. And I can't think of a better use of fan service, genuinely. And, and I think fan service is really dangerous. And maybe this is just me being really excited because I only saw it yesterday, but I think that it really, really works. Yeah, it didn't really take away the spark of the film or anything like that. It was like, you know, this is the Spider-Verse. This is what we're going to see. And there were so many references. There was one that I was really excited to see. It was the Spider-Buggy. Oh my God, Peter Parked Car? Incredible. Yeah. There are just so many things, even in the background or in the foreground. There was even the Doc Ock Hello Peter from No Way Home oh, in yeah. the background at one moment. And I feel like for a good 10 minutes... 
or maybe even longer because the pacing of this movie is so fast. Maybe it's not even fast. I was never bored. It really, really captured me. But there was just so many moments where I was doing the Leonardo DiCaprio. I was just pointing at the screen. You know, I was saying <laughs> things out loud. You know, like we were in a fairly packed cinema. It was early in the day. But I still felt like I was the only one being like, oh, oh, like when Spectacular Spider-Man. And, you know, to me, Spectacular Spider-Man is just the best on-screen adaptation of Spider-Man. I mean, maybe second to Spider-Verse because Spider-Verse is really kicking everyone's ass at the moment. But yeah. Spectacular Spider-Man to me is, is, is the gold standard. And seeing him, even if he had one line and he does, but seeing him be there, amazing. Just so cool that all of this stuff, like it embraces every single aspect of Spider-Man and the Spider-Man media. <laughs> it even explains Morbius. You know the end of Morbius Mo when Vulture shows up? Oh yeah, this whole yeah, thing. Like yeah, like that's, yeah. that's now like a, an anomaly or whatever. Like, I don't know, but like, there's just so many fun ways that this connects. There's definitely part of me that's worried that they're going to make this all a part of a big live action Spider-Verse. But at the same time, this movie on its own is just so, so great. Even if it is setting things up, it does it so, so well. And I have an email here from Samuel Massey, Sam! as ever. Hey, hey, he's back. And he's back. Uh, yeah, so... Tom, John, it's Sunday, podcast time. Let's get cracking. Okay, so I'm willing to confess that I'm one of the only few people who doesn't think that the first Spider-Verse film is worthy of all the hype. Yes, it's a good film, but I'm not sure that it is the best Spider-Man movie or comic book movie or even animated movie. Don't get me wrong, it's a good movie, but I don't think it's the best. Controversial for some, I know. That being said, I was curious to see whether Across the Spider-Verse would still reach those levels of praise and not fall short like many sequels do. And I can say that I do think that this one deserves those levels of hype. The cameos in this movie were great. Andrew Garfield, Tobey mm. Maguire and Tom Holland were seen slash referenced. Insomniac Spider-Man was there. Spectacular Spider-Man. Bombastic Bagman. Spider-Punk. Ben Riley, oh, Big yeah, Up Andy Samberg. Web Slinger and even Spider-Horse and Lego Spidey. I loved seeing all these characters and I'm sure I missed so many more. I really like the butterfly effect in this movie. I think that's the right one small action setting of a chain of events. But I believe this in real life. I just think that's what happens sometimes. Something so small like throwing a bagel at a random guy can set things in motion. <laughs> really loved that. The canon events were such a unique and interesting idea. Losing some or something that leads to being the spider, the protector of that world. Spider-Man often shows a brutal sacrifice for the greater good, and I love how Miles decides he can change that, challenge the status quo and make change. I think that's a brilliant lesson. We don't always have to accept things the way they are. We don't have to take life lying down and let it walk over us. Instead, we can change things. We can be like Miles and not take no for an answer. So overall, I really love this movie. Really, really do. I think going back and watching the first one and then the second one will help me appreciate the movie more. Who knows? Anyways, I've rambled enough. Thanks for the pod, gentlemen. Keep the good work it's appreciated take care thank you sam. sam thank you sam as always i mean yeah there's just so many really really amazing elements and i do think that again hopefully the third movie will be this good again but yeah all three of these movies are going to work so well together like i'm already appreciating the first one so much more with the way the second one has woven into it definitely like there's a lot that takes from the first movie and it just interwovens into here yeah it was so cool to watch it was so cool. But the funny thing is, is that the cinema we were in, you might know. Oh my God. <laughs> yes. There was a fly oh, no. <laughs> in the cinema all the way through the film. It was like stuck to the screen or something. And it yeah, moving. so there must have been a fly that was just crawling all over the projector. And it was just... 
<laughs> just crawling across the screen in so many moments. And I feel like in the middle of the film, you forget it's there because there's so much happening on screen. And then afterwards, it re reappears again. And genuinely, it was so annoying. And I don't think it ruined the film. But yeah. there was definitely one point at the beginning where I was like, wait, no, it's intentional. <laughs> the fly is actually part of the film. <laughs> it was just like so oh, brilliant. I, I loved it. Yeah, it was just it was so annoying to see. But I want to see it again and see how do I feel about the film? You know, I want to see it again. You know, like, did I miss any of the emotional beats or, you know, it was it there? I mean, it was all there, but I just want to see it again just because it's just awesome. What do you think about that cliffhanger? I, I, I don't see how it will ever... Like, I know that they're making Across the Spider-Verse and Beyond the Spider-Verse at the same time, but I generally have no idea how they're going to satisfy. I, I really like the idea of without Spider-Man and without his father, Miles does go down a really dark path. And, you know, they've, they've, they've brought back Aaron in a really interesting way. Like, some of this stuff is just... Who would have thought it? But it really is, you know, a logical and interesting jump from the first movie to this. And it just goes ten times more insane where yeah. it's going to go. I don't know where it's going to go for the next film. They're going to have oh, to pull man. something really great. Yeah, I, I don't know. Like, I'd have to give it more thought, but this is a really strong contender for my favourite comic book movie ever. Previously, it was Into the Spider-Verse, but this movie might have even topped Into the yeah. Spider-Verse. I don't know how that's even possible, but it might have done it. Yeah, it might have done it. And this is just an incredible experience to watch on the big screen. Like, yeah, the music the voice acting and the story and the character development. It was peak. It was right there. <laughs> and it, it was fantastic. I'm going to say it. It was perfect. I have to agree. I mean, do I even have to ask, but what are you going to give it out of 10? <laughs> what? No, I'm going to give it a 10. I was about to say one, but I, I, <laughs> I didn't want to be mean. No, I, I have to agree. Like, you know, we don't give many 10s, but this is just wow. Wow. 10 out of 10, absolutely. Thank you, everybody, for listening. Thank you for listening. It might be the best film of this year so far for me. Like, what? You know what? I think I might agree as well. Again, I have to give it some time, but yeah, I really do think that it could be there. Thank you, everybody, for listening. If you're listening you. on YouTube and you enjoyed it, you can give us a like and subscribe if you want to see more. And if you're listening on Spotify, you can follow and give us a five-star review if you think we're worthy. Next week, we're doing The Little Mermaid, the new one, which is going to be good, I hope. I hear it's decent. Yeah, I heard you can good send things. Email. I heard good things. Yeah, right, exactly. And you can send us an email at asktimefilmpod at gmail.com. Let us know your thoughts on The New Little Mermaid and ask us any questions. We'll answer it right here on the podcast next week. And you can follow us on Instagram at asktimefilmpod to see our incredible thumbnails from Zayn Axel and on Twitter for more thoughts from me. And you can find links to all that in the description below. Thanks to El Jones Mayer for the excellent theme and Rona Phillips for vocals, as always. And I think that's everything. Yeah, that's everything. Yes. Uh, I'm going to be non-stop thinking about the score and the Ugh. soundtrack. Oh, the soundtrack. I love the soundtrack in, in this film. I thought Metro... Another, another banger. Every element another banger. of this movie I've been is just banging. I've been listening to it all night. It, it is such a banger. Thank you Brilliant. for listening. Take away, Given. You have nothing back. Goodbye. Goodbye.